two weeks from today, we are launching something that has never been done around here before. Tell your neighbor right now, you got two weeks. Now, here's what you meant by that. You got two weeks to buckle up. Because two weeks from today, we are launching a series of messages and weekends around here that has literally been years in the making. I, I have been studying, reading, praying, preparing for this series for the better part of six months. And I'm just going to tell you, I've never said this in 21 years of the life of Lake Hills Church or my time as a pastor. We get excited about every series that we start because we think God's going to do something. We expect that because of who he is. But I'm just going to tell you right now, this series that we're starting in two weeks is the most important series we have ever done as a church family. Now, it's, God's got something really, really big in store for each of us personally, collectively as a church family. But we're going to also have a lot of fun along the way. The title of the series is Beyond Friday Night Lights. Beyond Friday Night Lights. That starts two weeks from today. Make sure that you are here. Also, what a perfect opportunity to reach out to somebody that you know who doesn't yet know how much God loves them and what a relationship with Christ is all about. You tell them, hey, we're doing Beyond Friday Night Lights. I don't know what it means, but it's going to be good. I promise you. They will come if you will invite them. Pray for them by name. Invite them. Reach out to your friends and your neighbors, your classmates, your coworkers, people you work out with, whoever it might be. That starts two weeks from today. Now, of course, next weekend, as my lovely bride just alluded to, next weekend is the back-to-school blessing. And it is one of our favorite years of the entire, favorite Sundays of the entire year. It's, it's going to be an absolute blast. Now, Here's what I need you to keep in mind. Be on time. Tell your neighbor right now, get your early on. Some of you were not really convinced about that. I'm telling you, next Sunday is going to be awesome. And you do not want to be late. Make sure that your kids are situated and tucked into the children's ministry area. But if you've got kids kindergarten up, they're going to be in the service anyway. So be on time. That means that you're in the room before the service starts. I know for some of you that is a radical thought. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, next Sunday, you do not want to be late. But today we're going to wrap up this series that we started last week called Reset. And before we dive into God's Word together, let's pray together. Will you? Father, we thank you so, so much for your presence in this place, for the fact, God, that you are here with us. And Father, it's our prayer that you would move in our lives as you already have, God, through, through the worship, through song, through the opportunity to trust you with our tithes and our offerings. And Father, now as we come to the word, we ask that you would do what only you can do, God, that you would speak into those areas, those rooms in our lives where you know we need you. Father, we pray that we would never be the same when we left here because we were here with you, with each other. I ask, Father, this morning that you would speak through me. God, that you would speak in spite of me and use this time for your purposes. God, for your glory and for our good. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. 
And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, Paul Harvey was an iconic radio personality. His career spanned decades and generations of Americans, which is interesting that he had such a long career because his career was built basically on the back of a daily radio show that he did that lasted no more than five minutes, including commercials. The name of his, story, the name of his show was called The Rest of the Story. And Paul Harvey would always start off by sharing kind of some, some unknown, maybe even uninteresting facts that virtually nobody knew on the way to fleshing out and telling a story of, of somebody's life, of a celebrity or a politician or a historical event that virtually everybody knew. And it was amazing to watch how these brief little vignettes unfolded every single day on the radio. Now, I want to give you just a little slice of how Paul Harvey would start one of his shows. Take a listen to this. Now, the rest of the story. Remember these four words, Al was utterly useless. Al was utterly useless. I'm nothing but a burden on my family, he once told his sister in a letter. Really, it would have been better if I had never been born. Al had hit bottom by the age of 22. His parents, impoverished, were no longer able to support him. He needed a job, but nobody would hire him. You're hooked. I mean, like right now, you go, Al, what was wrong with utterly useless Al? Did he ever find a job? Well, in this particular installment, Paul Harvey goes on to explain that utterly useless Al had a way below average academic career, actually got kicked out of one high school, barely made it into another one, and just so he wouldn't be a burden on his aging parents, enrolled and got into a technical school. And kind of hoodwinked his way into an interview after technical school that was kind of a last gasp, Hail Mary job attempt. And it was in this interview that the hiring manager kind of perceived something beneath the surface on Al. He said, he's not dumb. He's just never had a shot. And so this hiring manager thought, I should have cut this interview off after the first five minutes. But I'm going to give utterly useless Al a chance. And then here's how Paul Harvey concludes the rest of the story. And then he got that job at the Swiss Federal Patent Office. And inspired by his very first unequivocal success, he eventually learned to live up to his best, his very best, and to become the groundbreaking genius the world now knows as Albert Einstein. Only now, only now you know the rest of the story. Is that brilliant? And that was the kind of thing he did every single day. And he always concluded the same way. And now you know the rest of the story. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And, you know, Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story was always kind of a behind-the-curtains look at the story behind the story. The, the, the not-so-glamorous details that made up the story that became the headlines. And in a very, very real sense, God has created you and he's created me. And he calls us into the rest 
of the story. The story, of course, is the story of Jesus, the gospel that he's invited you and invited me into to participate in the life that we were created to live. But as a part of that life, as a part of that story, God offers in Christ a very real rest, a rest that is soul deep, a rest and a peace that passes understanding, a rest that quenches soul thirst. And it's a rest that, that Jesus offers throughout his earthly ministry as it's recorded for us in the, in the pages of the Bible. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus puts a very, very fine point on it. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. And that promise is really the premise of this series that we're wrapping up, this, this reset series, that, that Jesus promises rest for our souls in the midst of everything that's clamoring for our attention with all of the cultural clutter and noise in the world, that in Christ there is a very real peace. There is a sense of rest that nothing else in the world can provide, that nothing else can even come close to. And yet in this promise is an invitation. Because, you know, whenever God says that he's going to give us something, it's always relational in nature. Whatever you believe about God, start with the fact that God is relational in his very essence. That's the core of who God is. Before humanity ever showed up on the planet, God was relational with himself. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the Trinity. Three in one and one in three. So God was relational before we ever got here, but then he created you. He created me, he created humanity a little lower than the angels, but he created us for relationship. That, that's, that's why we're here. So even when he gives us something, it's relational in nature. He always invites us to participate in the process of his provisioning. Whenever God gives us something, he, he asks us to participate in it. Think about our man Noah. You've heard of Noah. Russell Crowe played him in the movie. Noah, God decided that, that he was going to save humanity. And because Noah was righteous, Noah and his family would be spared from the flood, from the coming storm. But when God decided to spare Noah, he did not give Noah the boat. He gave Noah a blueprint. Noah had to build the boat. And so if we're going to receive the rest that Christ offers... We have to build into our lives around these practices, these primary practices. We have to build our busyness, our schedules, our calendars in order to experience the rest that Jesus offers. In order for us to live in the rest of the story. Now, we talked last week about the primary practice, which is that daily time with God. Setting aside time for, for prayer, for scripture, to get to know God better. 
And, and that's one practice. But there's, a, there's another practice that we're called to that we're going to really delve into this weekend. And, and it's, it's the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath. Now, as soon as I say the word Sabbath, most of us are, are at least familiar with the word. And we think, man, Sunday. Or maybe if you had grown up in a, in a Jewish household, it was Saturday, sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. Whatever your background is, we, we think of a noun. We think of a day of rest, a day to kind of chillax, if you will. And that's a part of it. But to the original audience, when God introduced the concept of Sabbath, Sabbath is a verb. Sabbath means stop. It's, it's an imperative. Tell your neighbor right now. Stop. 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 But it's not just stopping for the sake of stopping. It's not just ceasing a particular or all activity. In God's economy, Sabbathing means that we stop for a deliberate purpose. It's, it's part of the fabric of creation. If you go all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible has just recorded God's creative process, days 1 through 6 of creation. But look at what it says in the very first verses of Genesis chapter number 2. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. God did a good job. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, this is really, really profound. If it's in the Bible, it matters. The entire Bible is God's inspired word. And so we see here that God has completed the work of creation and he rests on the seventh day. He sets aside a day to be holy. Holy means that it is, it is set apart for divine purposes. And early on, God baked into the fabric of creation this need for a day of rest. A day of rest for the animals, a day of rest for the human beings. For, for us to take some time and Sabbath and, and stop and catch our breath. Because God knew that those six days of work were going to take it out of us. I mean, God, God knew what was coming down the road. And as an act of grace, as an act of love, he gave to humanity Sabbath. Think about this for me for just a second. What if, let's say tonight on Sunday evening, you, you finished up your Sunday meal and you're just kind of hanging out watching America's Funniest Home Videos, and the phone rings. You pick up the phone, and it's your boss, your manager, or maybe for those of you who are about to start school, the day before school starts, you've got all of your new school clothes, your pens and pencils in the bag, in the box. You're ready to rock. And the day before school, your principal calls your house and says, just kidding. We're not starting school tomorrow. I want you to stay home. And just relax. Or your boss says tonight, do not come to work tomorrow. Not because you're fired, don't come to work tomorrow, but just don't come to work. We're not opening the doors. Whatever you need to do to kind of feed your soul a little bit, just, just stay home, 
hang out with your family and chill and we'll see you on Tuesday. You'd be like, man, don't play with me. Are you serious? <laughs> you, you cannot be messing with me like this. He'd be like, no, I'm serious. I want you to stay home. Do not come to the office. Do not go to school. Just, just, just hang out. Most of us, we, we'd be like, what do I do? I'm supposed to, you know, it, and yet, that's exactly what God has already done. God himself has said there's a day of the week set aside for divine purposes. Don't work. Just chill out. People ask me all the time, like, so is Monday your day off? I'm like, bruh, you must be crazy. Monday, we start correcting everything that we saw that was wrong on Sunday. Friday, I chill out. Friday is my Sabbath. Sunday is not your pastor's Sabbath. <laughs> this is a day of work. But I am still called by God to trust God. It's, it's almost like God baked this command into the system because he knew that if we would trust him to meet all of our needs through our labor six days a week, and we would set aside a day where we just chose to trust that work will still be there tomorrow, God will still take care of all of our needs materially, financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, but one day a week is set aside for rest and worship. A, a time to rest and restore a time to, to invest in renewal through refueling and, and listen to what God has. It, it's like he knew that if we would choose to do that and build that into our week, into the blueprint of our week, that then we had really and truly said, you are God. We trust you more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust our job, more than we trust our grades or our athletic prowess or being a part of this group or that group. But we will choose to say that you are God and we are not. And one day a week is set aside for divine rest and worship, for intentional, purposeful rest. Because, you see, God knew that, that after the fall and after sin entered the humanity picture, that there was going to be something in our little brains that said, no, 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 we got to keep going. I've got to be available. I've got to be accessible. I want to be successful. And I know successful is not a word, but it communicates. God knew that that was going to be a part of who we are. And that condition, ladies and gentlemen, is not getting better on its own. Just, just a couple of numbers to chew on. 75% of employees believe that workers have more on-the-job stress than a generation ago. Which, don't you figure our parents kind of like, yeah, okay. But this, is, this one will blow you away. 29%, almost one out of three of us, have yelled at coworkers because of workplace stress. It's funny how quiet it got when we talked about yelling, but that's another sermon. This is one, just file this one under the category of no duh. Housewives are under more stress than the CEOs of major corporations. 
No, duh. One million United States workers are absent every day due to stress. 60% of employee absences could be traced to psychological problems due to job stress. 60%. Job stress carries a price tag for United States business estimated at over $300 billion annually. $300 billion because of workplace stress. For all of our technology and all of our tools that allow us to, to work more efficiently, smarter, harder, we are less restful and resting than ever before. And those numbers are just the grown-ups amongst us. Let's think about our kids for a second. Unstructured playtime without adult interference? <laughs> That's funny. It's cute. Or figure it out, conflict resolution amongst kids where parents aren't getting involved in calling attorneys? No. We are kidding ourselves if we think that our kids are not paying a price and will continue to as long or until moms and dads embrace the responsibility that God has given us to build our weeks around the blueprint that he has given us biblically that says we will rest one day a week to teach our kids the muscle memory of sacred rest and the ability to just chillax, the ability to just kind of hang out, sit around the table, maybe, even, I have a dream, talk to each other. I know, crazy as it may sound. And listen, I'm, I, I believe me when I tell you, I feel your pain. I know what that's like. But I also know the benefits and the blessings of building the boat according to the blueprint God has given us. I, I know what it's like to have kids graduate high school and getting ready to graduate college and, and want to hang out. I, I'm just, I, I cannot beg you enough. It is worth it. It is worth it to build into our kids' lives the muscle memory of being the church and not just going to church unless we've got a travel game, we've got to be away, we're going to be in that, we're going to do that. Sports are great. Extracurriculars are awesome. It's how I became the world-class athlete that I am. But we've got to teach our children what it means to be the church. And Sabbath is one of the greatest, most obvious, apparent tools in our hands. And so this is the priority. This, this is who we are. This is what we do. I think that the rest of the story is probably perfectly positioned on the calendar right here before school's really started. I know football's cranked up and there's a lot of extracurricular stuff already going on, but if we can build our weeks around Sabbath and decide we own the calendar, the community doesn't own the calendar. We own the calendar. We are responsible before God for how we spend our time. At the beginning, 
instead of getting to the end and wondering where it all went. So I'm, this is, again, an act of grace, an act of God-fueled relational fuel. It's interesting that God baked that in in Genesis chapter 2. And so it shouldn't be surprising when you come to Exodus chapter 20 when God is giving the Ten Commandments. He's, he's called Israel out. He has decided that Israel will be his chosen people. They will be the, the vehicle for his grace in this world. And he begins to, to codify that covenant with the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are, are kind of, you know, everybody's at least heard the phrase or, or knows that they're there. But when you remember that Sabbath was one of the big ten that God listed in Exodus chapter 20, you, you start to see the priority that he hopes, that he, he wants it to play in our lives. Now, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that's the fourth commandment. Here, here's how the Bible records this in Exodus chapter 20. The Bible says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart for divine purposes. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, where God placed the fourth commandment, I think, is really significant. If you listed the Ten Commandments, which I would encourage you in your notes page, go ahead and kind of write these down. We're going to go through them real quickly, just, just by way of review. But the first section, the first three commandments are about our relationship with God. Number one, have no other gods before me. That only God. Number two, do not fabricate any idols, no man-made images that you would bow down to and worship. And number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Honor his name. Even God's name is holy. That's number three. Number four is the Sabbath thing. But then five through ten is about our relationship with each other. Number five, honor your father and mother. It's a good place to start. Number six, do not murder. Murder is not good for relationship. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false testimony against your neighbor. And then number 10, do not covet. Anytime you covet something that somebody else has, that damages relationship. But number four, this thing about Sabbath, number four is the linchpin. Number four to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, keep it set apart, keep it special. Number four is, is where God supernaturally unites the eternal with the temporal. We gotta go, gotta go. So busy, 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 busy. Sabbath reminds us that there is something beyond just the next deadline. Sabbath reminds us that God has supernaturally invited us into something that is personal and relational, but it is also communal. When we set aside that day for rest and community worship, 
we're reminded, man, we, we encourage each other. We walk in the door like, hey, that guy goes to church. Wow. That's encouraging. God uses this Sabbath thing to fuse the divine and the infinite with the human and the finite. And as he does that, he, he refuels, uh, he recharges us for the week ahead, for the work ahead. And it's this amazing privilege that we have in this community, collective worship. Now, of course, we worship throughout the rest of the week. Everything that we do is to be an expression of worship. But there's something that happens when we gather with the family of faith that, that you can't get through an a, a internet connection. That's fine as far as it goes. A lot of people kicking the tires for the first time, that's awesome. But it's different when you're in the room. It's different when you hear people singing, when you hear yourself and you're lifting up the name of your creator. And it's happening. That's why God baked this in, not only into the fabric of creation, but also into the covenant of relationship with his chosen people. Covenant was repeatedly an issue for Jesus, not because he didn't observe it, but because there were always people who were trying to hang him with it, especially the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were kind of the self-appointed religious watchdogs of Jesus' day, and they were always getting on either Jesus or his disciples because they were, they were actually helping people on the Sabbath. They were like, we can't have that. And as a matter of fact, there was one story that the Bible records in the book of Mark, chapter number two where Jesus and his followers are, are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. And because they're hungry, the disciples kind of start pulling some, some grain off of the stalk, little, you know, granola break. And the, the Pharisees flip out. You're breaking the Sabbath. You're harvesting grain on the Sabbath. <laughs> and, and the Bible doesn't say this, but you can almost hear Jesus' eye roll. He's like, bruh, Let, let's, just, let's just calm down a minute, Judge Ito. There's nothing to freak out about here. We're, we're eating grain. You'll remember that David himself, a man after God's own heart, got some of the sacred bread out of the temple to feed himself and his men when they were hungry. We're not doing anything. You have missed the point of the Sabbath. Look at what he says. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27 through 28, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord even over the Sabbath. He says, you're missing the point. God has given Sabbath as a gift it's, it's a gift for you. It's a gift for me. It's not here so that we can prove to each other how righteous and moral we are. It's a gift. It's a gift for our recharge, for the rest of our souls. And Jesus said that he is the Lord even over the Sabbath. 
even over the Sabbath. That, that, that Jesus, we, we know that all authority is his. God the Father has vested the Son with all authority. Everywhere. Now that doesn't mean that you act like it or that I act like it, but that's the fact. And, and Jesus says here that he's even got authority over the Sabbath. And, and so when you think about the authority of Jesus, you, you remember he's relational. He, he is, yes, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God and I am not. And he's good. He's good. And, and, and he invites us into this, this Sabbath, this Sabbath thing. This, this stopping, the ceasing for divine purposes because he knows we need it. He, he knows that, that we'll be better for it. He knows that we'll be closer to him through it if we do it as an expression of worship. The Pharisees, Sabbath was just another way to prove how awesome they were. The Pharisees were not satisfied with the law of Moses. They made up laws about the laws. Jesus goes, no. The law is real, but the law is there as a gift to remind you of your need for the Father, your need for forgiveness. And so in Christ, in, in his peace that passes all understanding, in his, in his rest for our souls, in Christ, in Christ is the rest of the story. You, you've got a story. God's created you on purpose to, to live out a story in relationship with him. But the question is, do you have the rest of the story? Are you living in this relationship with Christ, in this peace that passes all understanding? That, that's, that's what Jesus is getting at. It's why in the book of Hebrews, God reminds followers of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, he says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We, we don't know when Jesus will return, Matter of fact, Jesus said he doesn't even know. God hasn't chosen to share that with him yet. But we know he's coming back. And so since he's coming back, we've got to be wise with the time that we have. We, we've got to be deliberate. We've got to be intentional, even down to how we rest. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. And in this moment, I want to just, I, I, want to, I want to challenge you a little bit. I want to push you to consider Jesus' invitation. Remember, he said there, he said, come to me, all you who are weary. If you're tired, exhausted, fatigued, fatigued. 
anxious. And in him, find your rest. That, that life reset button that is a relationship with Christ. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, then we, we want to just give you the opportunity to respond to Jesus' invitation. To respond with your life. In a, in a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. The rest of your story. Just pray, just right where you're sitting, something like this, just silently from your heart to God, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need your rest. I want your rest. And so I confess my sin to you right now. All of it, holding nothing back. So that I can receive, I can embrace your forgiveness, all of it. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And in exchange for your life, I give you mine. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But for those of you who, who prayed that prayer, man, this is the greatest moment of your life. If that was your prayer from your heart to God's, then you need to know this is the moment where it all begins anew. And you're kind of in the perfect place because you're surrounded by people who want to help. People just like you who are figuring it out together as we go. And so if you did pray that prayer, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things so that we can help at whatever pace works for you. First of all, if you would, take your program and start filling out that connection card, that connect card that's there. Just fill it out, name and contact info. Those things always stay in-house. You'll notice about halfway down on that card is a place to indicate that I, I'm committing my life to Christ this week. After you've completed that, you can just tear it off along the perforation on the fold and 
as you exit in just a minute, you can hand it to one of our ushers in the blue shirts or maybe to somebody who's under the blue canopy out underneath the big front porch there. And that just kind of starts the process of being part of the family. Like I said, so that we can help in whatever ways that we can, at whatever pace works for you. The second thing I want to ask you to do, if you would, just as our heads are bowed for another brief moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand up high over your head for a moment. And in the raising of your hand, you are making a physical statement about a spiritual reality. As you responded to the amazing grace of God, And so as a family, and we honor that and we celebrate it with you as you put your hands down, we're going to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home. 